You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the editor of Dunking with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. This episode of Locked On Wolves is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy weekend. Today, we're talking all things season opener, 24 hours after Wolves-Rockets. How do we feel? What are the real takeaways from this besides just an amazing start to the Timberwolves season? Couldn't have gotten off to a better start. I want to hit that here in just a minute. I want to start with some Ben Simmons stuff, the news that came out during the day on Thursday about the most recent I guess, twists and turns in this ridiculous saga between Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. And then we'll close today by looking ahead to Wolves-Pelicans. The Wolves and Pelicans play uh, both games at Target Center, actually, on Saturday and on Monday. So we're going to do that on today's show as well. All right, let's start with, well, actually, first of all, thank you for making Locked on Wolves your first listen every single day. And remember that Locked on Wolves is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, as well as Apple, Google, Spotify, and of course, the all new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey spelled A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves and at B-Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Okay, now let's talk Simmons. So, um, the, the latest news had been, of course, Simmons showed up at camp. He had the disinterested, we haven't talked about Simmons in a while because things are too happy in Timberwolves land for this to be something to really spend too much time on. But I think it's important to get caught up. I want to get my thoughts on where we sit today and what's maybe next for the wolves in regards to the Simmons stuff. Um, so of course Simmons showed up, he had the practice where he allegedly had a cell phone in his pocket was disengaged was, you know, there's the video floating around of him behind the team huddle at the end of practice, dribbling, shooting on his own, not participating in the team huddle. And then on, I think this was Wednesday, uh, he refused to participate in a drill. Doc Rivers asked him twice. He said, no rivers kicks him out of practice. Simmons, there's rumors floating of where he actually went when he left practice, but was apparently out on the town in Philadelphia, uh, following uh, being kicked out of practice. And now the news on Thursday was that he, uh, had a sore back, was receiving treatment, had told several folks that he had a sore back and that, uh, and then there was a, tw- I think this was Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN said that he's not mentally prepared to be playing. He's obviously not going to play Friday and will be out for the foreseeable future between not being mentally prepared to play as well as this now the sore back. Um, so, I, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the, the easiest, oh, well, actually, and that's not even the end of it because then Daryl Morey went on the radio later in the day on Thursday, and I'm going to read a couple of quotes that were transcribed by folks from his radio appearance. Uh, he says, and this is, um, I'm going to, I'm going to read this from Derek Bodner's Twitter. He's the athletic writer that covers the 76ers and he did a good job of, of chronicling it all on Twitter. Maury says on the radio, of course, he's the president of basketball operations with the Sixers. He says, quote, people should buckle in and then went on to talk about how the Sixers can only get role players in a trade right now. And they're only going to trade him for a difference maker. He says, quote, what's our best chance to win a championship right now? It's reintegrating Ben Simmons to our team. Um, then he says, quote, would you rather eliminate what people perceive to be a distraction or would you rather have better playoff odds? I'll take playoff odds. Whatever we have to deal with that helps the Philadelphia 76ers win the title, we'll do it. You're going to think I'm kidding. I'm not. This could go on for four years. We're in the prime of Joel's career. Either Ben Simmons is playing for us or we have to get back a difference maker. I, I mean, 
he's not wrong, but to hear the leader of a front office of an NBA team actually say that and say, hey, we're better with him. And, and this is exactly what we know about Daryl Morey, right? He's a, a, a and this and this is simplifying it a, a lot, honestly, but he's a he's a, a numbers guy, right? So the cold calculation here, the back of the napkin math, if you will, is the Sixers are better with Simmons if he comes back and plays. If they trade him and they get in Morey's mind, apparently these are my words, not his pennies on the dollar, they're going to be worse. So he says, I'd rather roll the dice with the team we've got. Joel Embiid's really good. Why bring in some other pieces? Let's do what we're doing. Eventually, Simmons will come back and we'll be better. Why would I trade him and punt the possibility of getting an all-star player like Ben Simmons back? Um, you know, there's rumors floating as to did Portland really offer, offer CJ McCollum and Robert Covington? If they did, I'm a little surprised that that's not something the Sixers... Now, we don't know the timeline, how long ago that was. That Now, that seems like a pretty palatable deal if you're Philly. Because otherwise, are you going to trade him for spare parts to Portland or Sacramento? Or or I'd be surprised if the Wolves were offering much as of right now. I don't know what the standing offer on the table would be from Minnesota. Um, but from a Sixers perspective, this is extremely messy. Maury is probably the the right guy, has to be the only guy the, in the front office around, front offices around the league that would really, truly stick this out and talk to the media about it, like Maury did on Thursday. Um, and Simmons, I mean, for his part, he didn't handle obviously a lot of this, right? There's plenty of blame to, to go around and I don't want to assign percentages of blame, but this thing's really messy. And obviously if you're a Timberwolves fan, I talked about this a week ago after a three and one preseason, good vibes, a fantastic opener, a, a great training camp. Um, I don't want to overvalue it all, but obviously the wolves have to feel like they're in a pretty good place. They like their roster. They like their team. Why rock the boat? And I tend to agree. I don't want to overreact to the start to the season. Ben Simmons is an all-star. He's a top 30 player in the league, maybe top 25. He's an all-defensive guy. He's young. There's lots of good things about Ben Simmons. Obviously, there's there's serious, uh, apparently, character and makeup issues. Um, I don't think I'm projecting too much there based on what we know, what's, what's factual about this whole situation. Um, but in a vacuum, adding Ben Simmons to the Wolves at the expense of anybody except for Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards would make them a better team. Still, as of right now, the Wolves would be crazy to to like do anything to rock the boat. Um, it's one game. I get it. They started two and zero last year. They started what nine and seven or nine and six or something a couple of years ago. The bottom could fall at any point. I understand that completely. Um, but with the the especially the way Simmons has carried himself in the last week, quitting on his teammates, quitting on his coach. Um, again, blame to go around. And Bead's not blameless. Maury's certainly not blameless. Doc Rivers isn't blameless. Um, why would the Wolves or any other team for that matter say, yeah, you know what, let's uh, let's package some of our best players to trade for this guy who who has just acted the way he's acted over the last three or four months. Um, so I don't think this has any impact on the Wolves other than whatever the standing offer was on the table from, from Sachin Gupta and the Timberwolves. I feel confident that that offer was, was pulled at this point, or the offer is nothing, but I don't even know what it would be because the Wolves wouldn't want to trade Patrick Beverly or Torian Prince right now, I don't think. Um, so I'd be surprised if the Wolves had a standing offer to Philly for, for Ben Simmons. Of course, anything could happen. This could get revisited. If somebody gets hurt, if the Sixers say Joel Embiid gets hurt and the Sixers just say, Hey, let's get what we can for Ben Simmons. I don't see Maury doing that, but you never know. 
if uh, the Kings get a, have a decent start to the season and somebody gets hurt and Darren Fox gets hurt, say, maybe they put together a few guys and, and Marvin Bagley obviously is not in the rotation there. I don't think the Sixers really want Marvin Bagley. There's a lot of scenarios where something happens. But my prediction a couple weeks ago, the last time I talked about this situation on the show was that a trade would get done. It would just be Thanksgiving. It would be mid to late November before it happens. And I, I'm still going to stick with that prediction because that's still a month out. But of course, the news from Thursday between the the Simmons sore back thing and the Maury saying, we're going to wait this thing out. I mean, it could be a minute. It could be until next. I mean, as Maury said, it could be four years, which is, of course, absurd. Um, but there's not really an end in sight. And, uh, you know, the Sixers won easily. They beat the Pelicans, uh, coincidentally, who we'll talk about in a little bit, by 20 on Wednesday in their opener. Um, so, I mean, they don't need to pull a fire alarm yet. I mean, they're Again, one game into the season, but they've got a good roster without Simmons. Um, they're still going to be a top four team in the West, even without him. So, um, or excuse me, in the East. So at any rate, that's the update on Simmons. Uh, let's put that aside. Next, I want to I want to kind of relive the the Timberwolves win on opening night on Wednesday. I want to get into the um, into the I don't know, like sitting back twenty four hours later. What what can we say about that game? you know, remove the emotions from it. What did this game actually look like if you're a Timberwolves fan? And what can we look forward to this weekend against the Pelicans? That's how we'll close the show with the Pelicans matchup talk. First though, let's talk about our friends at McDonald's. This episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to, stopping at a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. Uh, road trips, by the way, that's exactly what my family does. Sausage egg McMuffins for breakfast, um, Canadian bacon uh, McMuffin for my wife. It's it's the way it, you have to do that if you're on a road trip. Um, otherwise, late, if you're working late on the way home, a lot of McDonald's are 24 hours. It's the way to go. A lot of great memories stopping at McDonald's with friends and family. Um, so head to your local McDonald's to refill and reconnect. Did somebody say Lockdown Wolves watch party at McDonald's? I'm loving it. McDonald's. All right. Uh, next, let's go ahead and, and get into, uh, you know, kind of the revisit of, of Wednesday night's game. All right, so uh, Wolves Rockets on Wednesday talked a lot after the show or during the show, I should say, after the game on Wednesday night into Thursday about uh, studs and duds. I highlighted the big three for the Wolves, right? Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and uh, and Anthony Edwards all had fantastic offensive games. Ant was decent defensively. D'Lo was decent defensively. Cat was great defensively. Um, and I focused a lot on those guys in studs and duds. Saw some comments to the effect of, hey, you know, where, where's the love for a Kogi for McDaniels for Vanderbilt? I talked a little bit about the, I talked a lot about the defense in general. I didn't single out those guys individually because I, I do think as solid as they were individually, it was more of a team thing. And that was one of my key takeaways from the game on, on Wednesday was the overall improvement on team defense, swarming to the ball, et cetera. So to me, that's the biggest, the biggest takeaway looking back on this. And, and I, I did watch back uh, the game a second time was was yes, the individual effort, the tone was set by Josh Okogie, primarily guarding Kevin Porter Jr. early in the game. I think Kevin Porter Jr. had nine turnovers, if I'm not mistaken, in the game overall. Okogie was a pest early in the game in the best way possible. He almost, it was almost like he was a bigger Patrick Beverly, honestly. That's what he was like early in this game. And uh, which, by the way, Chris Finch mentioned Patrick Beverly immediately in his postgame comments 
Beverly wasn't even in the building. He was suspended on Wednesday. And But that's how much Beverly's already meant to the culture in Minnesota and has changed that culture for the Timberwolves. Um, and uh, I just think that's notable. But Akogi reminded me of how Patrick Beverly plays defense. Was uh, He was really, really good. Jade McDaniels was awesome. Uh, but it was more the overall team concept that was so impressive to me. There was, um, you know, individually it was great. But as a team, swarming the ball, um, you know, playing the pick and roll differently, right? Instead of, and talked about this a lot on the show, so I don't want to belabor it too much, but instead of playing drop coverage, we've, I even heard, I watched back the Rockets broadcast and the Rockets broadcasters, which by the way, their color commentators, Brian Hollins, former Timberwolves, I'm going to call him a Timberwolves great. I loved Ryan Hollins. What was that? 10, 11 years ago. Um, ultra athletic. Uh, I think the Wolves got him as a restricted free agent from Dallas. I think they matched an, or Dallas declined to match an offer sheet for Ryan Hollins, if I remember correctly. But anyway, he's color commentator for the Rockets. They were talking about it. It was the play-by-play -play guy brought up how the Wolves are defending the pick and roll differently this year, which I thought was, I mean, they'd paid attention to what the narrative is in the Twin Cities right now, right? Or maybe they talked to the Wolves broadcasters. But um, yes, the Wolves are defending the pick and roll differently this year. Uh, instead of drop coverage, instead of Towns or Nas or whoever the big is that's in the screen and roll, dropping into the paint to to try and guard against dribble penetration, they're playing at the level of the screen. They're getting out there to, to in some cases, trap the, you know, blitz really, the ball handler. Um, and in, in every case, to stay at the level of the screen and be able to guard against both the drive and the shot. And it's it's all about being aggressive, right? And, and when you do that, you're going to create some passing lanes. And the Rockets had a handful of dunks, um, but... That's going to happen over the course of the game if you if you play the ball so aggressively in the screen and roll. And they did a great job doing that in general. And you can give up four or five dunks. If every single three-point shot is contested, virtually every single one, you can give up five dunks over the course of the game and you're in decent shape, right? I mean, ideally you're not, obviously, but you that's not a bad trade-off, especially given the alternative. In past years in the Wolves, it seemed, seemed like contested like half of opposing threes. I'm just throwing that out there, but that's what it looked like if you watched a Wolves game. And I can't remember a single, maybe one wide open three-pointer in transition from the Rockets in the first half. Uh, there weren't many. And um, and the Wolves playing the ball or playing at the level of the screen in, in pick and roll game was a huge reason for that. Um, and yes, they gave up a few dunks. But at the same time, by the way, the low man stepping up and protecting the paint is another piece that wasn't part of the drop coverage concept, right? From a defensive spacing perspective, it wasn't really possible. But the way that the Wolves played and this wasn't every single time down the floor, but when the Rockets got in a pick and roll, Towns would play at the level of the screen. A lot of times it was McDaniel, sometimes Vanderbilt was the low man. It would step up into the paint and protect against a, an open roll to the front of the rim. And that worked out well. And McDaniels was amazing with walling up. Vanderbilt, same thing. You know, the whistle, the whistles actually didn't come quite as fast and furious as they could have against the Wolves. And, and I think the Wolves did a great job defending without fouling, but there's going to be some nights where they get into foul trouble quickly playing defense this aggressively. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that, but this is that'll be one of the tests for the Timberwolves players to not get discouraged with the aggressive defense, right? They have to keep it up. They have to trust the process, if you will, um, of, of truly being aggressive defensively in all facets of the game. But I think defending at the level in the pick and roll, the low man stepping up and getting into the paint and protecting against that role, and then also Xing out and, and as the ball ro rotates, um, the other, whoever's on the weak side perimeter, then backfilling and taking the corner. If the low man on the baseline steps up into the paint, the, the weak side wing defender has to X out, has to get to the corner, contest a shot, a jumper from the corner to protect, um, against that rotation. And again, if the, if the offense is, if you're playing against a good team, if you're playing against the Milwaukee bucks, which we'll see next week, they're going to, they're going to get you. They're going to get a few dunks. They're going to rotate back the other way. They're going to get an open jumper for, you know, whoever, um, on, on the perimeter. And, uh, that's, 
That's going to happen over the course of the game. But if you're contesting the vast majority of jumpers and you're making life difficult for uh, ball handlers trying to get into the paint, um, you're going to have a good defense. I mean, it's the NBA. Teams are going to score. You're going to give up over 100 points a night on average. But uh, to hold the Rockets to you know under 25 a quarter for the first three quarters of the game was great. Um, and that's what you'd expect against a bad frankly, a bad team like the Rockets. And um, if the Wolves play defense like that every night, I said this on Wednesday after the game, um, if they play defense like they did on Wednesday, if we can copy and paste that to every single game, they're still going to beat some good teams playing defense that well. They're not only going to beat the bad teams. Um, and so, yeah, it made this an 18-point game. It, may, it made an 18-point you know, final margin of victory. It made this be a 30-point game for a good chunk of the second half. And against the good teams, you're not going to get up 30, even if you play defense like this. But it will allow you to beat the bad teams by 18, 20, 25, 30 points. And it will allow you to be in the game against good teams all season long. Um, other things that was impressive on the uh, that uh, that that was impressive on the defensive end of the floor, the aggression on the perimeter, again, contesting shots, hands up, uh, hands in passing lanes. There was the one, uh, I forget, I think it was the Jordan McLaughlin deflected a pass. He was guarding the ball. He got his hand up, deflected a pass. And I can't remember. I think it was Jaden McDaniels got a steal. And I believe that's what led to an alley-oop. Might've been the Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels alley-oop. I don't remember exactly, but... That was a steal that was brought on by ball pressure, um, by simply getting on the ball. Uh, it's old Mark Jackson, hand down, man down, get the hand in the passing lane, deflect the, uh, deflect the pass. And you likely come up with, with the steal in that situation. Um, and by the way, that's the way you get a steal on a perimeter and ignite a fast break without gambling. If you're just playing ball pressure, you're, you're not fouling, you're moving your feet, you get your hand in a passing lane that's way more effective than gambling and getting out of position. And uh, which is something that Edwards, Malik Beasley have been prone to do in the past. Beasley, by the way, was great defensively. I talked about his block shots on the show Wednesday. So I, you know, I, I want to shout that out again, uh, but across the board, the, the ball pressure hands and passing lanes, the, the low man stepping up, the swarming the ball in the perimeter, blitzing the ball handler in some cases in the screen and roll was really impressive. Um, and then on the offensive end of the floor, again, revisiting this as a, as a team overall team concept, they were unselfish. I talked about early in the game, the offense got off to a slow start. It was getting to the free throw line that really kind of accelerated things. And they were started two of 16 outside the arc and made like, I forget what it was, like 14 of their last 22, I think, from outside the arc for the Wolves in the game. Um, but the tone was set by getting to the free throw line. And that was led by D'Angelo Russell was a big part of that early in the game. And then they almost kind of took turns. Like it was Towns early. Then it was Edwards in the second quarter. Third quarter was Russell and Towns together. Then the fourth quarter was mostly garbage time, uh, was really entirely garbage time. But if the Wolves can share the ball throughout the season, if their big three can, you know, take turns taking over. And in some cases, Malik Beasley will get the opportunity to do that. And hopefully we see Jaden McDaniel's offensive game grow a little bit this season in his sophomore year. Um, this is going to be a really dangerous offense. And I, those guys are all still saying the right stuff about like, I think D'Lo even had a quote after the game, like, hey, one night it's me, one night it's Cat, one night it's Ant. As long as they have that understanding and, and it, they all seem to be like, Edwards just is cool. Like he's going to get his shots. He's fine. Um, Towns and Russell, I think they both just want to win. And as long as they can accept that and know that some nights Cat's just going to go 18 and 12 and he'll have to be okay with that. Some nights D'Lo's going to only get, you know, 14 shots or whatever, 12 shots, as long as he's okay with that, um, this seems going to be really good. I, and, and again, relatively speaking, I'm not predicting anything crazy. I'm not all of a sudden upping my preseason prediction of, of 42 wins, but then I think they will be a lot closer to that 42 win mark than a lot of people think. If, if again, we can copy and paste the effort on both ends of the floor to, to the rest of the schedule this year, they'll be in really, really great shape. Okay. 
I want to close the show by talking about Wolves Pelicans specifically, talking about the Pelicans, what they did in their first game of the season, and also going back to uh, what they did, uh, what they did last year against the Timberwolves. Uh, before we do that, though, let's talk about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting candy bar of all time. Tastes amazing. Um, or excuse me, the best tasting protein bar of all time. It tastes exactly like a candy bar. Um, there's tons of delicious flavors. There's actually a new blueberry muffin flavor right now on the website. I had one the other day for the first time, and it's definitely a top five flavor in my mind. And I probably had 20 different flavors of Built Bar because they cycle through a number of different flavors, seasonal flavors, limited edition flavors. They bring some back that, that, you know, past flavors. There's nine staple flavors. You can actually get a mix box. You get two of each of the nine flavors. It's the best way to get introduced to Built Bar. I promise you of those nine, uh, coconut, cherry, barcia, cookies and cream, salted caramel. Those are the, oh, mint brownie there. I, Shouted out five of the nine that are fantastic. Um, and not only do they taste delicious, but they're also healthy. Check out the macros in Built Bars. 17 to 18 grams of protein per, per bar and only 130 to 180 calories per bar. Four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams net carbs. Every single flavor is tasty. They're all healthy for you. And by the way, Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built. All right, let's talk Wolves Pelicans. So this is a, uh, the rest of the three game homestand. This is the weird thing that started happening last year, scheduling wise during the, uh, the COVID shortened 72 game season, the, the 2021 season, not the initially shortened COVID season where it's instead of just the home and home, which happened occasionally, it happens a lot in hockey. It's always where like the Wolves had one of these with the jazz last year where they played in Utah and then played in Minnesota a couple nights later. This is just the, instead of the home and home, it's the two games at home. So the Wolves play the Pelicans at home on Saturday, Pelicans stay overnight or stay in town through Sunday. Then they play again at target center Wolves Pelicans on Monday. So We'll preview the Wolves-Pelicans matchup today. I will do a post-game podcast this weekend, likely following the game Saturday night. And then on Monday, uh, we'll, we'll do a quick preview of Monday night's game. Although, because this is the second straight, will be the second straight game against New Orleans. I don't know how much previewing we'll do necessarily. But um, anyway, two straight games against the Pels. So, so far this season, of course, Zion Williamson is currently out. Um, he will not appear in either of these games. Um, of course, he didn't play on opening night. So the Pelicans on Wednesday. Well, actually, let's start with what they did against the Wolves last year. So the Wolves actually went two and one against New Orleans last season. Zion Williamson played in all three games and uh, there was no Carl Anthony Towns in the first game between the two teams. And the Wolves actually won that game. That was uh, after Towns. He had returned from the knee injury. He was out due to COVID-19 uh, testing positive for COVID. So there was no Towns. Um, this was the Wolves came into this game at three and 11, uh, late January game at target center. And they ended up winning this, this by 10. Um, and again, Zion played, he had 19 and 11. It wasn't his best game. Brandon Ingram had 30 points on 20 shots was, was more effective. Eric Bledsoe had 28, um, for the Pelicans in this game for the Wolves. Nas Reed had 20 points. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt started and had 16 and 11 in just 21 minutes. Malik Beasley started, of course, was a starter last year at 16 and came came off the bench. This was towards the tail end of him coming off the bench. He had 18 points on 14 shots. And then Jarrett Culver actually had 16 points, five rebounds off the bench in this game for the Wolves. And they won by 10. Um, the next time that the two teams squared off, Carl Anthony Towns was back. Zion was still playing. Brandon Ingram really struggled in this game. He only had 13 points. The Timberwolves won by 30 in New Orleans. This is a mid-March game. So after Chris Finch took over um, and uh, 
and for the Wolves, Towns had 16 and seven only in 28 minutes. Uh, Anthony, and of course, this was a blowout. Ant had 27. By this point, he's a starter. Jalen Noel off the bench had 28 points, six assists, five rebounds, shot 11 of 13 from the floor, six of seven on three point attempts. Um, and, uh, and had again, 28, six and five. And actually, I'm sorry, this was not, Chris Finch was not the coach at this time. This is still Ryan Saunders. Um, the, the move was later in March, uh, when, when Finch was brought in, but at any rate, um, Noel was, was the star of this game and the Wolves put it away really early. And then the final time these two teams matched up, uh, the Pelicans escaped with a double overtime win. Um, and this was, uh, early May. So just a couple weeks before the end of the season. Zion was much better in this one. He was dominant. 37 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, 14 of 17 shooting. Uh, Lonzo Ball had 33, 11, and eight. Of course, he's no longer with the Pels. We'll talk about that in a minute. Brandon Ingram again struggled, just 14 points on 17 shots. For the Wolves, Towns had 28 and 14, 17 off the bench for D'Lo, 17 off the bench for Nas Reed. And um, also Anthony Edwards had 29. So Ant was really good in all three games against the Pels. Ingram was bad in two of the three games against the Wolves. And Zion was kind of somewhere in the middle. He had he had one good game, one, and then a couple of average-ish games. Um, I remember, what I remember about this matchup with the Pelicans last year is that I remember being worried about Zion Williamson because the Wolves couldn't contend with, generally couldn't contend with size and rebounding and athletic ability in the paint outside of Towns. Well, there's no Zion in this game. So it's all Brandon Ingram and no, there's no Lonzo Ball. Um the this Pelicans roster is not as good, in my opinion, as the roster that we saw them have last year. Uh, they had a weird offseason. They traded Lonzo Ball and brought in Sadoransky and um, I forget who else they got from the Bulls. Um, they overpaid and gave up a first round pick and a sign and trade for Devontae Graham, who is fine, but is getting paid too much money and wasn't worth the overpay plus a pick. And they swapped out Steven Adams for Jonas Valanciunas, which I think will be fine. He was awful in their first game, but um, he just got an extension. I, th- I like Valanciunas. I think he's good. And then they overpaid Josh Hart in free agency. And I understand they, were, they gave him a creative contract. They tried to free cap space. They thought they were going to land Kyle Lowry or or Chris Paul or, or something. That's definitely what they thought they were going to do. Didn't happen. And by the way, side note, this is the classic case of small market team thinking that, hey, we can lure somebody. We have Zion. Like, we'll get somebody here. No, um, it's not, that's not obviously not what happened. I think that was really a, a severe miscalculation because now you've got overpaid Devonte Graham and Josh Hart, no Lonzo ball. And I mean, look at, look at the Pelicans game from Wednesday. I mean, they did have, uh, you know, they're, and also they're going to rely on Nikhil Alexander Walker to, to really carry the load this year. Uh, you know, as kind of like a third or fourth scorer for this team. But Brandon Ingram had 25 points, 12 of 26 shooting, seven rebounds, six assists. He was fine. Um, and then Alexander Walker had 23 points, nine of 16 shooting, Devontae Graham at 18 and five. Their bench total, though, only scored 17 points. Um, as a team, they shot 42% from the field. Um, but, uh, I mean, they got out-rebounded in this game. They, uh, they were actually tied at halftime against Philadelphia, of course, a no Ben Simmons, Philadelphia, but got destroyed in the second half and ended up losing by 20, 117 to 97. And I truly, I, I, I really think that offensive firepower is going to be a major issue or the lack thereof, I should say for the Pels this year. I mean, Valanciunas shot three of 19. That's not going to happen every night for him, obviously, but outside of Brandon Ingram, there's not reliable offense there. Devontae Graham can shoot it, uh, but he's not a reliable, he's not going to, he's not going to get you 20 a night. I don't think consistently. Um, and I just, I thought they had a terrible off season, especially without Zion Williamson. I just don't see um, them being better than the Wolves this year. Now they're playing two games at home. 
or two games in Minnesota would not surprise me if uh, if the Pelicans won one of the two games, but they're both games the Wolves should win with no Zion Williamson. It's just hard to beat a team twice. And, and the Pels aren't like, they're not awful. They still have Brandon Ingram, right? I just think they had a bad offseason. I think it's actually not a bad matchup for the Wolves. The Pelicans were, um, I think the Wolves were 25th in three-point shooting last year as a team. New Orleans was 26th. Uh, they're not an overwhelmingly great rebounding team. Now, Valanciunas has given Towns problems in the past, so that could be something to watch. Um, but as long as you can make Ingram have a difficult night, which the Wolves did a couple of times last season, and make Devontae Graham work a little bit, you're going to be fine. The bench is not scary. I mean, it's uh, it's Sadoransky, it's Jackson Hayes, um, it's Kyrie Lewis Jr., who is, of course, uh, this is his second year. It's uh, Trey Murphy, the uh, the rookie. Um, so it's a uh, it's a beatable Pelican team, to say the least. And again, just the focus has to be on Ingram. I'm sure the Wolves will put Jaden McDaniels on him. I'm sure they'll put Josh Akogi and Devontae Graham and just say, hey, do what you guys did against the Rockets. We'll be all right. Um, and as long as they keep that intensity up, the Wolves will be just fine. Again, we will do a post-game pod following the game Saturday night. It will likely be late Saturday, possibly early Sunday, but be on the lookout for that over the weekend so you get your Timberwolves fix here at Lockdown Wolves. A thank you once again for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every single day. Remember, Lockdown Wolves is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you don't want to see my face when you listen to the podcast, you can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and of course, the all-new Odyssey app. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Reminder that Locked On Wolves is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy the game Saturday night.